So we're on Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 3, is that right? Okay, just checking, we're on the right canto. Uh, chapter uh, 23, and we're starting with verse 16. Is that right? Yep, 16. And we're very fortunate to have uh, Her Grace Ramburu Devi with us. So she, uh, please, this is a very, we usually have more devotees, but this is very informal. And anytime questions, comments, please just speak up. That's what the microphones are for, because uh, actually we get usually over 200 devotees listening to the recordings. So, um, so it's important that we, that's why we insist on the mics. No, no, they usually uh, listen later on SoundCloud. Um, we have a, it's a, a website that hosts uh, the recordings. There may be some people uh, online right now, I don't know. Okay, so we, like we were saying, uh, this is uh, a, uh, a Maha Ophir Rimfri moment, right? Because uh, Devahuti, you know, Ophir, she would do these things where you take a person just wasn't very nicely dressed and very ordinary looking and then do what they call a makeover. So Devahuti's about to get a makeover, but way outdoing anything uh, cable television could ever come up with. <laughs> the palace looked charming with beds, couches, fans, and seats, all separately arranged in seven stories. Its beauty was enhanced by artistic, excuse me, by artistic engravings here and there on the walls. The floor was of emerald with coral daisies. The palace was very beautiful with its coral thresholds at the entrances and its doors bedecked with diamonds. Gold pinnacles crowned its domes of sapphire. It's pretty, sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Just one second, I'm just getting my notes here. Okay. Um, next verse. With the choicest rubies set in its diamond walls, it appeared as though possessed of eyes. It was furnished with wonderful canopies and greatly valuable gates of gold. Here and there in that palace were multitudes of live swans and pigeons, as well as artificial swans and pigeons, so lifelike that the real swans rose above them again and again, thinking them live birds like themselves. Thus the palace vibrated with the sound of these birds. So that's like serious. You know, you can go someplace to a um, gardening store and, you know, get some. Uh, like I was at um, uh, a devotee's house recently for Thanksgiving and they had some um, uh, cows in their entrance. Not Obviously not real cows. They probably wouldn't allow them in uh, northwest Washington, D.C. <laughs> But, you know, they didn't look like the real deal. They, they were cute, and they said the mailman often, often comments on them and things like that. But to have, like, such, uh, so realistic that it tricked the swans themselves. Wow. That's, but we can, we can also understand that uh, maybe it's a little different, because it, but, but that depictions of animals or of human beings can have an effect, right? Because even Lord Chaitanya, he said that as a, as a strict sannyasi, he didn't even want to, you know, be exposed to mannequins of ladies just because it could create an impression in the mind. Not necessarily that, that you know, he would, 
or anyone would think that's a real person, but it, it, it can bring back kind of purva samskars, previous impressions in the mind of enjoyment like that. So these things have effects. We're going to talk about the effects of environment in um, just uh, a couple of verses. The castle had pleasure grounds, resting chambers, bedrooms, and inner and outer yards designed with an eye to comfort. All this caused astonishment to the sage himself. So he created it, and he's still like, it's, it's a little bit, it's different, but it, it reminds me of, uh, Vridai Nandamar tells the story of, as Prabhupada's secretary and ringing the, Prabhupada ringing the bell in the middle of the night, Vridai Nandamar is coming in, paying obeisances, and Prabhupada is sitting up and reading the Krishna book, and he just says, have you read this? He says, you know, isn't it wonderful? Because he's almost reading it like he's the third person, not the author. But because it's about Krishna, he's, he's astonished about how nice it is. So here, you know, the sage himself created this, but he's astonished by what he was able to do. Text 22. When he saw Devahuti looking at the gigantic opulent palace with a displeased heart, Kardamamuni could understand her feelings because he could study the heart of anyone. Thus, he personally addressed his wife as follows. So, now, okay, so we might say that Kardama Muni was, um, had some mystic power that allowed him to understand the hearts of everyone, right? Um, so the question is, what can we do with our limited mystic powers? <laughs> because empathy, or understanding where someone is coming from, is um, is a power? It's a powerful, helpful tool for helping people come to Krishna consciousness, to dealing with friends and families, to having a, a, a healthy outlook on the world. Um, so, how can we, without necessarily you know become a yogi, <laughs> what little tricks or big not tricks necessarily, but what tips or tricks or um, what can we do to develop that? And Ramru, of course, this is your profession, so you might have some ideas. But in general, how do you, how do you, uh, how can we become a small cardamomuni in the sense of you know understanding? What what do you do when you un how can you understand another person? What what strikes you as ways of doing that? Yeah. So. Um I mean, what do you do with Govind? How do you understand when he's in a good mood or not? That's so son. depending on the age group and type of relationship, which we often, I mean, I know I don't normally, not uh, really, but most of the times I fail to remember that. All these different things like who, who, what is the position of person, like how am I related to him, am I close uh -huh. to that person, am I in a position to give any kind of feedback to the person, should I think twice before saying, I mean, I'm becoming careful no more. But so all that, ideally, we should remember before mm -hmm. speaking to someone. And as we read in all different pastimes in Bhagavatam, we are also learning, cultivating this knowledge now. Right, so you don't want to give, uh, it's just like you ever have people give you advice when you didn't want it? Yeah, that is one example. Actually, <laughs> I had started to speak. I mean, you know, yeah. lately I have been giving some feedback to my husband and also. Uh, like, you Give know, me feedback to husbands, we, forget it. I tell him all the time, never feel bad if I just right away give you some feedback without sandwiching, <laughs> like you tell us, 
We should sandwich it between. Really okay, good. And you also said compliment. something else about generations that yeah. sometimes it's hard to. In my work, um, I so often do trainings around uh, the different generations in the workplace, and you know, it's um, it is it's interesting that a, a baby boomer like myself may not fully be able to understand. Um, uh, millennials, even their body, because I was going one of the things for me, the obvious thing is body language, right? That's, we learn a lot about another person. We empathize a lot when we just see how they react to something we say, or, you know, you know when someone, you can get a glimpse when someone's sad or, or, or all those things. And, and I think we mentioned this last week, Lord Chaitanya did that, you know, he just, one time he just used body language to get his point across, right? When he was, when he was uh, looking at Sanatana Goswami's very, uh, fancy chatter. He didn't say a word to him, right? But he just kept looking at it, right? Or one time, Sati was she was very embarrassed. She didn't say anything. She covered her her head with her sari. So body language. What else? But at a higher level, if we are not at all close to an outsider and we really need to say something. We might something, read it wrong, but yeah, we, it's yes, better, be careful. Yeah, lately, I mean, this quote crosses my eyes so many times, and I try to remember it's better to be kind than being right. <laughs> Very good. It's just like I was just in India. Where was I? I think I was in Delhi driving to the airport, and I was seeing a lot of school children walking home, right? And you see, and teenagers, and you see a lot of boys holding hands with other boys. Right, or having their arms around them. Now that body language would mean something different here, perhaps, perhaps, than it does there. It's very common there. Um, but here we would immediately draw to some conclusions. <laughs> Other thoughts? Well, I was, okay, well, I'm tell you what I'm thinking. Um, listening to people is one of the best. You know, it's a very, it's actually a mystic power in one sense. First of all. Being enough in the mode of goodness to, to actually cool down what's what we want to say to people, and listen to them. It's it's um, it's one of the best ways to get to know someone's heart, um, especially if you become a good listener and they start trusting you, and um, it goes beyond just external niceties. That's that's a practical way. Studying what else did I put? Yeah, being able to put people at ease. Maybe by. It's on. Maybe for me also to to imagine imagine what I might be feeling in their situation. This kind of helps me hmm. get a sense for where the, what they're feeling. It may be projection also, but it it's a it's a beginning. Right. And then to check out the assumption of what I think they might be thinking or feeling. Very good. Yeah, it's just like uh, I work in Native Americans. They have that saying, like to walk a mile in another person's moccasins. Yeah. Okay. And I just thought that was, it's uh, how do we apply something like this amazing power that Kardamamuni has to our not so amazing yogic powers? Yeah. Andy. But I think the problem is, and she kind of jumped ahead to it, even if you can discern the person's mood, is, is to not be judgmental. Mm -hmm. So if you're like him and you have both the power to perceive what's going on and not judge the person, really ready to empathize, then that's a good combination. But just knowing what they're thinking and then s starting to judge them, it kind of negates the value of anticipating what they're thinking. So that's yeah. the problem. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's uh, and that, that could bring up a whole other discussion. Because um, I think what goes through a devotee's mind, 
let's say a devotee who's trained in some of this, right? Uh, or I can just say myself, uh, what goes through my mind. So um, there's a difference between agreement and acceptance. So you're saying non-judgmental. I would use the word, the other word for be acceptance. I can accept where you're at. You know, let's say, you know, um, so-and-so, um, you know, he's a vegetarian, but he likes fish sometimes. So I can accept that that's where they're at. Not that I necessarily agree that's the best thing for them, you know, from, from the absolute Shastric point of view or whatever. And um, at the same time, usually to get somebody from where they are to where, uh, you know, Krishna and the scriptures say they should be, usually I find is much more powerful when you are accepting them than, uh, than uh, just advising them. There's this nice letter to, that Srila Prabhupada wrote to a devotee named Balavanta in 1972. And he was talking about sharing Krishna consciousness with the educated class, with college students. And he said that um, you have to learn the art of appreciating their point of view and listening to them. And he gave the example of Lord Chaitanya listening to Sarvabhama Bhattacharya for seven days, or Krishna listening to Arjuna throughout the first chapter, even though he probably said he was speaking nonsense. Um, and then he says, if you become a good listener, he says, then it will be easy to, and appreciate their point of view, he said. Those are the exact words. Then it will be easy for them to gradually join us. So if you think about 1972, college students, USA, their point of view was, you know, drugs, sex, rock and roll, Mayavad philosophy. <laughs> but he didn't say just ram it down their throats, you know, Krishna consciousness, but actually listen to them. Just, just an interesting point is we're talking about judgment. You know, sometimes we go to judgment without understanding or assuming something about someone else. What I have found helpful is to, when I notice I'm being judgmental, to move into being curious, which uh. is what I see him doing here with David Huti. He's reading the body language. He has some idea, but he's not making a judgment. He's, well, I'm curious. You're looking a little afraid. Well, tell me, you tell me what's going on. So I think Very that's... Good. That's a real way to be considerate of a, another person. I love that. Curious, yeah. Very good. Tricks, yeah. No, I, seriously, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so let's move on. My dear Devahuti, you look very much afraid. First, bathe in the, he kind of knew something's up. First, bathe in the lake, Bindusarovara, created by Lord Vishnu himself, which can grant all the desires of a human being, and then mount this airplane. The lotus... I, Devahuti, accepted the order of her husband. Because of her dirty dress and the locks of matted hair on her head, she did not look very attractive. Her body was coated with a thick layer of dirt, and her breasts were discolored. She dove, however, into the lake, which contained the sacred waters of the Saraswati. In a house inside the lake, she saw 1,000 girls, all in the prime of youth, and fragrant like lotuses. Seeing her, the damsels suddenly rose and said with folded hands, we are your maidservants. Tell us what we can do for you. The girls, being very respectful to Devahuti, brought her forth, and after bathing her with valuable oils and ornaments, they gave her fine, new, spotless cloth to cover her body. They then decorated her with, an very excellent and with very excellent and valuable jewels, which shone brightly. Next, they offered her food containing all good qualities and a sweet inebriating drink called asavam. 
Then in a mirror, she beheld her own reflection. I thought that was, must have been a shock. <laughs> Uh, her body was completely freed from all dirt and she was adorned with a garland, dressed in unsullen robes and decorated with auspicious marks of tilak. She was served very respectfully by the maids. Her entire body, including her head, just one second, okay. Oh, actually I wanted to read something. Just let me go back to 23 for a second if there was something that I wanted to read. Oh, it's just Prabhupada's talking about the importance of, uh, he said, it's still the system to go to a place of pilgrimage and take a bath in the water there. In Vrindavan, the people take baths in the river Jamuna, and in other places, such as Prayag, they take baths in the river Ganges. The words tirtam asisam yapakam refer to the fulfillment of desires by bathing in a place of pilgrimage. So it's, it's uh, the reason I wanted to bring that up is it's, it's uh, when we study Prabhupada's writings and we study the scriptures, they're layered. So this is true, right? It, we take bath um, in, in, in the holy places and it's a wonderful uh, experience. Uh, I was just recently in, um, at Govardhan and someone had given Sachinandan Maharaj uh, a flask of water from Pavam Sarovara. And the idea is that if you take bath in Pavam Sarovara, it relieves you of your sins. So, he sprayed some on my head and he said, you're relieved. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, um, yet other, you know, some, then that's on this level. Then other levels, uh, there's statements in the Shastra by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur especially, um, that say, if you go to the holy place and take bath, but you don't inquire from the holy people and get their association, it's really, I don't know about waste of time, but you're not fulfilling the purpose of, of the holy place, right? Uh, and there's even a, what is that? Yasyatma buddhir kunape tridatuke swadi kalatradishu boma ijiti. How does it go, the next verse? Your tear Anyway, it says similar thing about just taking bath. You just take bath, then it's actually stronger. It says, it says if you think that your place of worship, uh, birth is worshipable, and all these things, uh, then you're no better than a cow or an ass. Yes, yeah, so Eva Gokra. I once gave that in a class, and my son was in the class, and the wise guy raised his hand and said, well, my, my place of birth is worshipable. He was born in Mandavan. I said, okay, <laughs> get out of class. <laughs> Okay, so we'll go back now to where we were. What, what verse were we on? 30? Uh, we did the Avasam. Okay, in the mirror, yes. Her entire body, this is uh, 31, including her head, was completely bathed, and she was decorated all over with ornaments. She wore a special necklace with a locket. There were bangles on her wrists and tinkling anklets of gold above about her ankles. And then the purport, actually, Sheila Prabhupada talks about ladies don't always have to wash their hair, <laughs> basically. There's different kinds of snans, which probably um, they feel good about, especially in the winter. Uh, about her hips, uh, she wore a girdle of gold set with numerous jewels, and she was further adorned with a precious pearl necklace and auspicious substances. Her countenance shone 
with beautiful teeth and charming eyebrows. Her eyes, distinguished by lovely moist corners, defeated the beauty of lotus buds. Her face was surrounded by dark curling tresses. And here Srila Prabhupada uh, basically uh, endorses uh, uh, teeth whitening. <laughs> right. He says, uh, he says, according to Vedic culture, white teeth are very much appreciated. So there you go. Um, go out and buy the crest uh, teeth, whatever. <laughs> when she thought of her great husband, the best of the sages, Kardamamuni, who was very dear to her, she, along with all the maid servants, at once appeared where he was. She was amazed to find herself surrounded by a thousand ma maids in the presence of her husband and to witness his yogic power. The sage, wait a second now, that was verse 35? Okay. Uh, 36 and 37. The sage could see that Devahuti was, uh, had washed herself uh, clean and was shining forth as though no longer her, his former wife. She had regained her own original beauty as a daughter of a prince. Dressed in excellent robes, her charming breast duly girdled, she was uh, waited upon by a thousand Gandharva girls. O destroyer of the enemy, the, his fondness for her grew, and he placed her in the aerial mansion. Though seemingly attached to his beloved consort while served by the Gandharva girls, the sage did not lose his glory, which was mastery over his self. In the aerial mansion, Kardamamuni with his consort shone as charmingly as the moon in the midst of the stars in the sky, which causes rows of lilies to open in ponds at night. So this also comes up in another purport in a few verses, but um, we, well, let's just put it this way. If we were in the same situation, we might have been distracted. <laughs> but Kardamamuni, we can't, it's hard to, it's, it's hard for us to understand the mindset of someone born 50 years before us. Let's just speak of thousands of years ago, uh, someone who can create a mansion in the sky, but because but, we would think, oh my God, if I, if I was surrounded by this and thousand and my beautiful wife and the mansion and the diamonds, you know, and I would be totally... You know, but he uh, was such a great soul. So it's hard to, uh, there's even a verse in the Shastra that talks about how we have to be careful about understanding great souls. Um, Lord Brahma made some pretty big mistakes, right? Um, I, actually, it comes up a little bit later here. Um, I was thinking about when Kardamamuni, it said, well, we'll get to it later. But basically when he, you know, right after, it seems like right after the child is born, he's ready to take sannyas. That would be frowned upon today, <laughs> right? Even in ISKCON, let's speak of in the world, you know, it's like a deadbeat dad kind of thing, right? Uh, that's what it would seem like. Obviously, that's not uh, the case here. Um, so it's, it's, it's a challenge to um, draw the essence of instructions and apply them in our lives um, and be careful to, um, uh, to bring our own conditioning and our own mindset into fully understand, you know, how we apply it. I'll just say that. Because I could, you know, if I was in Cardamom, I would be totally be bewildered. <laughs> but here he, it says he, he did not lose his glory or mastery over his self.
in that aerial mansion, he traveled to the pleasure valleys of Mount Meru, which were rendered all the more beautiful by cool, gentle, fragrant breezes that stimulated passion. In these valleys, the treasure of the gods, Kuvera, surrounded by beautiful women and praised by the Siddhas, generally enjoys pleasure. Kardamamuni, also surrounded by the beautiful damsels and his wife, went there and enjoyed for many, many years. So uh, the other thing I was thinking, uh, this is how I try to extract what, what we read into uh, app applying in our life. We are affected by our environment. We're very affected by it. So here, a whole environment was created so that uh, they could have these amazing offspring and ultimately, ultimately, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, right, yeah, as Kapila. Um, but if, if our room is dirty, you know, if we're, if we're kind of, if our car is dirty, you know, that creates a certain, one of the, it affects the modes of material nature that we're affected by. Who we associate with, right? Um, the environment at work, we're affected. Uh, it's not easy to be like Cardamuni is not affected, you know, can be in, uh, and even him, he didn't just go back to the hermitage with Devahuti, he created this environment that would create a certain mood. So we are very much affected by our environments and our association and something to really keep in mind and therefore choose our environments, choose how to treat our environments, choose how to, uh, you know, if, if, a, if a very, you know, a person that you really respect, right, you really respect their opinion and, and you know, uh, maybe a senior person or something like devotee, um, I, you know, we, we should, uh, the way we have our house, the way we have our car, we, should, we shouldn't have to actually change anything when they come in. It should already be clean, it should already be welcoming. You know, it's not like, oh no, Maharaj is coming! <laughs> right, like, uh, some of the devotees used to joke that Srila Prabhupada must, may, may have thought that all temples had the smell of fresh paint. Because they were all like, they were all, you know, you know, and they waited too long and, you know, it was still like almost wet by the time Prabhupada came to the temple. So this, this is, I think, one thing we can extract from this. We're, as Karda Mamuni, arrange a certain environment for a certain purpose. We also can think about our environments because they affect us. Some thoughts on that? Yeah, Andy. I just remember from last week mentioning, I don't remember the question, but I remember Srila Prabhupada's answer. Somebody asked him, how can I do this or that? And he said, show them the way you live, right? Oh yeah, is, Ananda was saying that. Yeah, my wife was saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. show them the way you he, live. She read that in a letter that, uh, yeah. yeah, so how can we help people become Krishna conscious? And there was a bunch of book distributors and they thought that he would say book distribution. And he said, just have them stay with you for a weekend and, and show them how you live. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because Krishna consciousness, as, I, as you know I quote often, is caught as much as it's taught. You see how someone lives, you say, wow. It might be hard to do, but I, I, you know, that looks like a nice lifestyle. Yeah, very good. Anything else? Okay, well, we're making, we're, we're, we're zipping through this uh, <laughs> at an unusual pace for us. So he enjoyed for many, many years. Satisfied by his wife, he enjoyed in that uh, aerial mansion, not only on Mount Meru, but in different gardens, known as Vaishrambaka, Surasana, Nandana, 
Pushpa Bhadraka and Chaitra Ratya and by the Manasarovar Lake. So, you know, I guess those, you know, you compared, those are like, you know, uh, much more heavenly vacation spots than, you know, going to, uh, yeah, and I go to Thailand or, you know, or my, my, whatever, whatever we consider. Hmm. You've been? No, I've been dreaming to go somewhere. You've been dreaming to go? Okay. Well, um, the Nanda, the Nandan Kanan, the Nanda, Anandana um, gardens, as far as I remember, are the one, at least the ones that I'm familiar with, were in Indraloka. Right? Because uh, when. Who 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 ran the demigods out of their place? No, no, I was thinking. Anyway, um, so I'm not actually. Uh, that was perhaps a speculation. If all of these are on this planet, uh, I'd have to do a little research. Did it say that someplace? Yeah. Well, it wasn't Ariel Mansion. And of course, there could be more than one Manus Rover. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like that. So, take that. <laughs> but the point is, they went, the, the, the essence of this, they went to these really wonderful, heavenly ish places. Yeah. And, and you know, you, we are affected by that. Um, we asked, someone asked Ramapad, my wife asked Ramapad Swami that in the class earlier this week. About, you know, because you are. Um, I remember one time going to the Canadian Rockies and going to Lake Louise and just saying, wow, this is really, you know, Krishna's got some good artistry going here, right? Or if you ever go to the Himalayas or at least to the foothills of the Himalayas, you know, they're, they're incredibly impressive. Or I work with national parks in America in, in my job and um, I mean, some of the national parks are just mind-bogglingly mind beautiful. If you can have, if you can deal with the crowds, some big crowds, right? But some of them, uh, Glacier, Mount, uh, Glacier National Park, and what speak of Grand Canyon, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So he traveled in that way through the various planets. Oh well, there you go. We should have just read the next verse. <laughs> various planets, as the air passes uncontrolled in every direction coursing through the air in that great and splendid aerial mansion which could fly at his will, he surpassed even the demigods. What is difficult to achieve for determined men who have taken refuge of the Supreme Personality of Godhead's lotus feet? His feet are the source of sacred rivers like the Ganges, which put an end to the dangers of mundane life. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, the words, Yair, Asritas, Tirta, Padas, Charana are significant here. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is known as Tirta Pada. The Ganges is called the sacred river because it emanates from the toe of Vishnu. The Ganges is meant to eradicate all the material distresses of the conditioned souls. For any living entity, how many of you have taken bath in the Ganges? Yeah. Where, where were you? Haridwar. Haridwar. Okay, where were you, Mataji? It was also in Hawaii, I was also in Mayapur. 
and my elk that's right, Mayapur and Haridwar, two very different parts of the Ganges. Where? Haridwar. Were you holding on to the chains? Yeah, because if you don't, cut them. <laughs> they, they, the, um, they have these chains where you take bath in, the, in these guts in Haridwar because the Ganges is flowing so powerfully. So you, you, know, you, you definitely hold on or else you may uh, end up in Mayapur, <laughs> you know, a few thousand miles away. <laughs> <laughs> or at least Delhi. You know, no, not Delhi. Ganges doesn't fly to Delhi. But. What's that? You sprinkle some Ganges water on it. Yes, very good. Very good. That's a good idea. So it is, it's a very, and it's a, you do feel, I mean, it's a powerful experience. And of course, where you, uh, the hardware is a very cold experience as well, because it's glacier fed. Well, we say it's uh, heavenly planets fed, but coming through the, uh, uh, yeah, Gangotri. There's a, the source is called Gangotri up in the Himalayas. Anyone been to Gangotri? Nope. Um, for any living entity, therefore, who has taken shelter of the holy lotus feet of the Lord, nothing is impossible. Srila Prabhupada used to say, impossible is a word found in a fool's dictionary. Right? But... Uh, nothing is impossible. Kardamamuni, that doesn't mean, you know, you take shelter of Krishna and then, you know, where's my new Ferrari? Nothing's impossible. Um, when you have love of Krishna, you have everything. Um, so in that sense, nothing is impossible. <laughs> Kardamamuni is special, not because, this is another important, um, and something we can meditate on. Kardamamuni is special, not because he was a great mystic, but because he was a great devotee, right? So we don't only gauge someone um, by what kind of results they can get, because look at the results he can get. Mansion, no problem, right? Thousand uh, maidservants, done, right? Um, as Srila Prabhupada writes in The Nectar of Devotion, he says that um, it's not so much the service we render to Krishna, because he has everything already, what can we give him? But it's a service attitude. So, you know, again, you don't go to either extreme, because you could say, you know, when you offer food to Krishna, he tastes the bhakti. But that doesn't mean that, you know, ah, so I put salt in the sweet rice instead of sugar, what's the big deal? Krishna tastes the bhakti. You know, that's not a sign of devotion to have that mentality. But here it says, Kardama, was, he, for us, he's special, not because of these kind of cool things he could do, but because he was a great devotee. Such a great devotee, he's the father of the, of the incarnation of the Lord. That is a real achievement. The, you know, the mansion, eh. I mean, it's not eh, it's pretty cool. But, you know, it's nothing compared to being the father of the Supreme Lord. <laughs> okay, let's read a little bit more. Um, therefore, it is said here that for a great devotee like Kardamamuni, nothing is impossible. Although yogis can perform wonderful feats, as Kardam has already displayed, Kardamamuni was more than a yogi because he was a great devotee of the Lord. Therefore, he was more glorious than an ordinary yogi. As it is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita, out of, this is the last verse of the sixth chapter, out of many yogis, he who is a devotee of the Lord is first class. For a person like Kardamamuni, there is no question of being conditioned. He was already a liberated soul and better than the demigods who are also conditioned. 
Any thoughts on this? I think you just have to take it at face value because they don't show the genesis of Cardamom Muni in very much detail. So they don't show the. You mean how he became a great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To become a yogi is like takes a whole lifetime. But I know his lifetime was thousands of years. But they don't really show how it happened. So you just right, and it's often can be cumulative from previous lifetimes. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow or other, I don't know what's going on. Um, there was this children's song about Maharaj Ambarish. Ambarish Maharaj was a very special king because he was a pure devotee. <laughs> somehow, somehow when I read that, because the prophet says he was a pure devotee like three times here. But that is the, um, um, the ultimate uh, goal is to have pure devotion. And therefore, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, when he talks about the, um, uh, he talks about two interesting topics that seem unrelated, the 26 qualities of devotee and uh, not offending devotees, okay? And the point he makes is that um, 25 of them are called tatasta lakshanams or um, tatasta, marginal. And only one of them is surup lakshanam or the key one and that's uh, fully devoted to the Lord, whatever word we want to use, but totally surrendered to the Lord. And the other ones, you know, doesn't eat too much, is a great poet, different, different things there. Um, those, so those may come and go according to one's abilities and things, but that one you need to have to be, a, to be a, a, really a devotee. Um, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur makes this point in terms of offending devotees because you can't, it's hard to judge who has bhakti. Yes? So, um, uh, so Rambaru, uh, you're the most senior devotee here and the most knowledgeable. So could you just tell me which, you know, from, we have two, four, six, we have ten people in here. Could you just tell us, you know, from one to ten, who has the most devotion and who's the least? No. <laughs> it's really hard, right? You have the least. Well, that's because you're a Mahabhagavad, and uh, Mahabhagavad thinks everyone's a devotee except themselves. <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> but well, you can't tell, right? It's a, it's so, and therefore, Bhaktivinoda Thakur's point was don't offend anyone. Because <laughs> you don't know. You don't have a thermometer you can put in the mouth that, you know, that, that tells you who um, has fully surrendered to the Lord or not. It says, because it's very hard to judge, don't be judgmental and don't offend anyone. Jesus says something similar, right? Uh, what is it? The least of my brethren is how you treat me? Something to that effect. So, anything on this point? Okay, well, in that case, we will move on. We're on 43. Yep. After showing his wife the globe of the universe, I thought that was interesting, because in the purport, Prabhupada says, all the planets are here described as gola, round. And there's this guy who's trying to go up in a rocket to prove that the Earth is flat. Any of you saw that? <laughs> It was pretty funny also because it was connected to my work because uh, the place that I work stopped him because <laughs> it was fed on federal land. <laughs> he said, you can't do that on BLM land. So it was pretty funny. That's how I know about it. But anyway, he's, he's convinced the earth is flat and he's going to go up on this rocket. The other thing was the launcher that he was using, which is a motorhome, 
um, broke down on the way to the launch pad or something like that. So anyway, he should read the Bhagavatam and he would save himself a lot of problems. Uh, after showing his wife the globe of the universe and its different arrangements full of many wonders, the great yogi Kardama Muni returned to his own hermitage. Text 44. After coming back to his hermitage, he divided himself into nine personalities just to give pleasure to Devahuti, the daughter of Manu, who was eager for sex life. In that way, he enjoyed with her for many, many years, which passed just like a moment. Now, I've been, I was uh, debating with myself whether to bring up the point in the purport or not. <laughs> but why not? We should talk openly and but shastrically about this. So in the purport, so what happens is, um, in the next verse, um, is this the purport? Wait a second. Yeah. Um, not, uh, Devahuti gives birth to nine children. Nine daughters, right? And... Um, uh, Prabhupada mentions in the purport here that it is understood that the sexual appetite of a woman is nine times greater than that of a man. He, he, he brings that up in the sense that um, uh, instead of one, uh, uh, that Cardamoni became nine and he impregnated her um, and they were daughters and in the Ayurveda it says that you know, whoever is more passionate, the husband or the wife, it generally that determines, determines the sex of the child. Right? Um, so, and in one other place, Prabhupada mentions this nine times thing, right? So, but you'll still sometimes hear devotees giving class, women are nine times lustier than men. Uh, one way we could say it is, Prabhupada's really, he's, quote, he's discussing it in the context of this particular purport. Because anyone who picks up a newspaper or just has common, a little common knowledge of what happens in the world, it would seem to say that if anything, men are nine times lustier than women. <laughs> I'm, not, not, you know, I'm joking about the nine times, but it would seem to say that the male libido really gets a lot of men in a lot of trouble, and probably proportion-wise a lot more than women. From you know, Mr. Weinstein, um, who started the news a few, about a month ago, to uh, you know, every day another person, um, and even sometimes people that you may respect, uh, you know, getting exposed. So. I, I can't predicate Srila Prabhupada's mind, but he is saying it here within this context. So within this context, it makes total sense um, to me, of course, and, and I don't know how to weigh that in terms of, uh, some people try to uh, write it off, I've seen it been written off as well, it means that, that women just have a more of a tendency to want things in this world, and that's a kind of lust. But in this purport, it's specifically sexual in nature. So, um, uh, uh, and of course, we also understand, I mean, Devahuti, she's the mother of the Supreme Personality of God. So, you know, we're saying that within a certain context, but also we understand that she's this incredibly, incredibly exalted person, not just really overwhelmed by mundane lust. She's the daughter of Swayambhuva Manu, who's also the Manvantar avatars, are also an avatar. So, you know, she, you know, she's, way beyond an ordinary, uh, as Cardamom Muni is way beyond the ordinary man in this world, she's way beyond, beyond any ordinary woman in this world. Um, any thoughts on this? Ramaru, you want to give a commentary on this? <laughs> yeah. Nothing bubbles up. Okay, well, if something does bubble, Gurudas and then... 
Jeev, Okay, so give us all your vast experiences as a brahmachari in this yeah. regard. Right. <laughs> uh, just I'm just pulling your secret. I got it. Uh, it just occurred to me that you were, you were mentioning Devahuti and how advanced a devotee she is. So as a devotee advances, doesn't the lust or tendency towards lust greatly decrease? Right. Go ahead, Andy. Well, I'd like to take a little issue with that because she she has a great propensity to be a devotee, but coming up she realizes she's not really a devotee because she was totally taken with all this opulence and everything of the fly. She realizes that in herself, but I don't think she's yet uh, realized herself. Well, okay, and that's interesting. We could say that is her natural humility, or we could also say that she was put in that consciousness by Krishna, just as Arjuna was put in that consciousness by Krishna in order for the Bhagavad Gita to be spoken. Um, and the reason I say those two things is, uh, yeah, we just want to be careful not to offend Devahuti. <laughs> I mean, you know, next time one of us is the daughter of a manvantar and the mother of an incarnation, we can <laughs> speak up with more. So, um, and also just, uh, you know, she did want children. That was clear, right? And that was, I mean, that's probably, I'd say, the most natural thing in the world, um, especially for ladies. Um, so, anyway, uh, yes, Jiva Tattva? Hare Krishna. So, actually, I was going to say, previously she had given a desire because she had heard Kaddaba Muni said to her father that when my, you know, he expressed to her his, you know, would-be father-in-law, then when she would be a, his semen, she would be, you know, and so she, as a lady, she always wanted to have, be her children. So she's expressing those desires, and Kaddaba wanted to satisfy her desires. Right. So, of course, there must be some, some scars and so forth. So he's progressing as a family man, carrying out his duty. So that's what it is. In a Grahastashram, you actually, you know, have the responsibility of progeny as well. And coming as a son of Manu, progeny is a natural process. Right. In Grahastashram. So you have to look at it from that particular perspective as well. One yeah. of the things I really liked in this particular purport is where Shira Prabhupada expresses that living entities can only expand to the maximum of nine, while yeah. not can expand unlimitedly. Right. And, and I like your point. You know, it's, it's also important to remember that they're all doing this uh, totally according to Vedic standards and religious standards. Very different than the chapter, the pregnancy of Diti in the evening, where so many things were kind of left aside. A microphone for much? Well, a thought that's just bubbling up is, is that Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, I am the sex life that is non-different from religious principle. So um, piggybacking on what you just said, I mean, if, lust or no lust, it's, it's legitimately used in Krishna's service by the progeny that she created. Mm -hmm. so. And clearly it was. These nine daughters all became married to these great um, right. progenitors. Yeah. And then, you know, some guy came along just happened to be the Supreme Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is all extremely auspicious. 
extremely auspicious. But I just find that sometimes devotees will kind of quote this as an absolute generally rule. Whereas here, even Srila Prabhupada says, um, he says nine times, and then he says, otherwise, Kardamamuni would, would have no reason to expand himself into nine, really making that previous statement connected to this pastime. Uh, and so to just go out there and kind of mindlessly say, yeah, women, your average, if you're speaking that to non-devotees, they're going to look at you like, because it, it, it doesn't seem to be exactly our uh, experience. That doesn't mean women aren't capable of doing really stupid things and being really lusty. And even women, I, I can tell you from my own work experience, I've had uh, several cases of women sexually assaulting, or se not assaulting, but harassing, sexually harassing men. Not, so it it's, goes the other way. But just not in any way the same number. The scale is still tilted this way. <laughs> mm. But I think we can learn a good lesson from all the things in the news today, uh, this past month, uh, is that um, uncontrolled desires can really make, even a person who's generally probably a nice person or a smart person, do really, really, really dumb things. Really, the un unbridled mind is a, is a very difficult, uh, it's very problematic, very problematic. Okay. Detachment, yeah, the, and specifically the detachment is that when a thought comes within the mind, to let it go. And we don't think, oh, my dear mind, you've come up with this really important desire, now I have to do it. See, the real problem isn't even the mind. The real problem is the false ego. Because the mind basically protects the false ego, right? We've talked about this before. So we have this false conception. First of all, we think we're a man, right? And we think that we're meant for enjoyment. And then the mind serves the false impressions that the false ego has created. So detachment, as you're saying, uh, is... Uh, it specifically is detaching ourselves from the whims of the mind and actually like going to the balcony and looking down at the what the mind is telling us and deciphering which are good ideas and which are pretty stupid ideas. So for a very fraction of short period or long period when when we our mind is taking over and going highly unstable, and I'm not talking about desires or less, in general with our experiences around in certain unfavorable environments, for example, and we have this knowledge, and we know what's happening, but for a certain fraction of time, we are taken over by workings of mind. Yeah, it's a problem, and, isn't it? And a big havoc might be taking place, and we might be in a, a real distress situation. Yep. And so um, it's very hard, even as a practicing devotee at times, for certain people to sit back and let it pass, remembering that it's all temporary. Yes, it's called in Hridaya um, Durbalyam, Krishna calls that in the second chapter, verse 2. Right? Verse 2 or 2 verse 1. The weakness of heart. Have faith that let yeah. me have faith here. Let me hold it tight. Yeah. We know we should be doing the right thing. We know we shouldn't be doing the wrong thing. But it's like, 
we know we should go to, you know, get up early, but, uh, you know, or whatever. It's that weakness of heart that just not going past the finish line. Also, asat trishna, which means, uh, trishna means thirst. So thirst for the asat, for the temporary. And then the third one is uh, tattva vibrahma, um, not understanding the philosophy tattva thoroughly. Prabhu, can we, where can we read about this? Tattva well, that's from a book called the Madhurya Kadamini by Vishnuv Chakravarti Thakur. Okay. Those three things that cover. DK, G? Okay, we, we get a microphone. So you, do you remember what they are? Prabhuji, you just mentioned Tattva Vivrama, right. which is not knowing the, the Tattva, your own constitutional position, as well as the constitutional position of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, because we are in uh, illusion right. that I'm at the center, not everybody else. Right. And uh, the other one is the Trishna. Uh, Asat Trishna. As Asat Trishna. Yeah. And the third one is the Hirdaya Durvalyam. And we just studied that yesterday because we did the second chapter of the Gita in our uh, Gita class. And Krishna uses those words. Yeah, thank you. Whereas he says, Where have these impurities come from? They are not at all befitting you, Arjuna. Okay, let's move on. Uh, in that aerial, is that where we are? In that aerial mansion, Devahuti in the company of her handsome husband, situated on an excellent bed that increased sexual desires, could not realize how much time is passing. And we've talked about this before, that in general, not just about sex life, but in general, when you're really absorbed in something, time goes very quickly. And when you're not happy doing something like in a boring class like this, maybe, I don't know, if, but you know, in a boring, something that's boring, you look at your watch every, you know, and oh, only three minutes passed since I listened my watch last. This is torture, right? So, while the couple who eagerly longed for sexual pleasures were thus enjoying themselves by virtue of mystic powers, a hundred autumns passed like a brief span of time. Right? So, one of the symptoms of a great devotee is uh, avyakta kalatvam, that they they use all their time in Krishna's service. So this uh, famous person from the 70s passed away uh, yesterday, the day before Michael Cassidy. He was like a heartthrob of teen, teenage girls in the 70s, uh, early 70s. But what his last words were, um, uh, I wasted so much time. I wasted so much time. We don't want to have that lamentation when we're on our deathbed. And even if we wasted a lot of time up until today, that's gone. You have to be detached. There's nothing you can do about it. But now we can take a, a sankalpa, a vow to use our time more wisely in Krishna's service. Any thoughts on time? Serpent of time and crocodile of death. What's that? That's how. Um, Hold the mic like this, like yeah, you're doing karaoke. Recently, yeah. reading about the 
distressed Gajendra was in. Uh-huh. So he refers, he begins to meditate on what situation he is in. Well, the serpent of time, um, you know, approaches him while yeah. the crocodile of death is, you know, engulfing him, pulling him in its clutches. I mean, the, the, the way it is uh, metaphorically uh, explained. Right. So as you mentioned that, I'm thinking of that serpent of time. Yeah, and then also Bhishma Dev talks a lot about time in uh, the ninth chapter of the first canto, right, where he says some things you just say it's the time factor. What can you be done? You know, uh, we could talk about time, but I'm looking at the time. Time. Well, we might get back to. It. We were actually doing pretty well. We might finish this chapter. Um, the powerful Karnamamuni was the knower of everyone's heart and he could grant whatever one desired. Knowing the spiritual soul, he regarded her as half of his body. Dividing himself into nine forms, he impregnated Devahuti with nine discharges of semen. When she saw her husband about to leave home, she smiled, but at heart she was agitated and distressed. Oh, did I? Okay. Oh, that's important, isn't it? <laughs> Forgot about the kids. Uh, immediately afterward, on the same day, on the same day, now every woman would say, boy, I wish I could have that kind of pregnancy. Right? Because it's not fun um, carrying around. I mean, I, I don't have a personal experience, but I can imagine it's not easy. Uh, she gave birth to nine female children, all charming in every limb and fragrant with the scent of red lotus flowers. So again, most children aren't born smelling really cool. Right? They're more like covered with stuff and you got to wash them. And yeah. So again, um, not your average. <laughs> Nothing about that verse is average. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nothing about it. Nothing about it. Although I think that is how demigods are born, right? Almost immediately, right? Something like that. I think so. Um, then the next verse I read uh, is that he was about to leave home. And, and in the purport to that verse, in, what is that, 52? 49. 49, okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Srila talks about, um, uh, is it there? Oh, yes. The example of Kardamamuni should be understood very clearly. A person whose main concern is Krishna consciousness, even if he is entrapped, entrapped in household life, should always be ready to leave household enticements as soon as possible. So again, if, if we've talked about this. It's so important that we read Prabhupada's purports, and often he's speaking in context. Because here's a person who's about to leave, so he's talking about the importance of it. You have to, if you wanted to come up with some kind of general understanding of Prabhupada's teachings about husbands, sannyas, grihasta life, and all that, you'd have to look at the entirety. Just as an example, here's one letter. Oops. I can understand your anxiety about your husband, and rest assured, I shall never advise your husband to leave you. Both you and are very good souls and constantly engaged in the service of Krishna. One who has got a helpful wife at home does not require to accept sannyas. So, you know, um, as we've talked about before, you know, I always like that uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that, uh, you know, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds, right? So 
and, and you could say, you can't say that Prabhupada was inconsistent. What you can say is he was consistently teaching according to the time, place, and circumstance, the nature of what was in the, the uh, previous acharyas were saying in there. You know, um, it was always for the benefit of the devotees and for the readers. Um, but he would say things at different times, different places. And so to get a full picture, so you wouldn't want someone to read this purport and immediately uh, their, their, their wife just gave birth and said, I'm out of here. It says it right in that purport. You'd, ha you'd have to look at the entirety and then apply it practically in our lives. That doesn't mean we, we neglect or diminish anything that Prabhupada says. We, we, we respect it all and we look at the context and the application in our lives. So if any of you guys, except for uh, Guru Das, were planning on putting on saffron this week because of what you read here, let's talk. You want to say something? I'm not at all trying to toot my own horn here by saying that uh, uh, I accept wholeheartedly everything in the Bhagavatam. So we just read about um, how the lovers delighted in one another and a thousand autumn, or a hundred autumns went. Uh, and then we read of uh, Karma immediately being able to detach himself. So um, I guess my question slash comment is how How can uh, a personality be so completely absorbed in, uh, and it might be a rhetorical question, but how can one be so absorbed in that mood and then immediately detach? Do you, do you get the gist of my question? I get question? the gist, yes. Yes. Um. There is something about that in, in one of the purports. But anyway, um, we read before that he didn't forget his constitutional position as a servant of Krishna, uh, even as he was going through the hundred autumns. Our tendency, while you're looking it up, our tendency as, at least I know my own mind, tendency is to think, well, oh, he was just playing along with her, you know, and, and you know, because she was so devoted to him, but uh, his actual motive in the back of his mind would be, you know, I'm going to renounce and leave. Um, but we don't necessarily ascribe the, our material machinations or motives yeah. of the mind to, to spiritual personalities like that. There's a verse, right? Vaishnavera Kriya Mudra. Don't try to uh, understand the mind of a Vaishnava. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, and great souls like this that are not Kali Yuga personalities, um, it's really hard to uh, um, fully appreciate um, the depth of their consciousness. Amru? Uh, microphone? One thought that I'm having, uh, how we might understand how he could go back and forth. 
Uh, I know uh, I have a strict diet because of my, I'm getting older and I just can't digest all the wonderful sugar and fat that we serve in the Hare Krishna movement. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure we give and you although some, it, uh, it, I love it. it Pecoras after this. It doesn't love me back. Right. But, so I might, I might follow my strict diet, but on Janmastami or on Gorpurnim, <laughs> I will allow myself, I will I'll say, okay, in this, in this moment, I'm going to really enjoy eating all the halibut and pakoras and stuff because I know, come the next day, I'm ba I have to. I can't. You can't eat like that all the time. <laughs> it will kill me. So, in some, but it's not that I don't enjoy eating the food. It's just I know that I realistically can't. And so, you know, Monday morning back to whatever the green juice and whatever it is I'm taking, <laughs> and uh, you know, it may well be if. Uh, such a great soul has that in the back of the mind is that you're doing duty. It's not that if if uh, sexuality, according to religious principles, isn't Krishna, that we don't enjoy it while it's happening. I mean, it's like your food. We enjoy eating the feast. It's a beautiful thing. But to overindulge in every day, and I mean, now you're killing yourself probably right. to over to eat piles. I'm just that's no, just thank a you thought. for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay, what verse are we on? 50? Okay. It's, it's harder to follow sometimes on the computer. But I have my notes here. She stood, is that the right one? Okay. And scratched the ground with her feet, which, uh, her foot rather, which was radiant with the luster of her gem-like nails. Her head bent down. She spoke in slow yet charming accents, suppressing her tears. So again, um, you can imagine that this could be front page of the Washington Post, right? You know, guy gets girl pregnant, takes off the next day. You know, she's so um, suppressed, you know, by years of... Uh, domination, that she can't even speak her mind to him, and just remains kind of, you know, you could just, you, again, you try to apply this to 2017, and, it, you know, you can't, it's apples and oranges, right? It's a totally different culture, it's a totally, di you know, a different understanding, and, and it's, in general, it's hard to do that, like I said, even 50 years, or even now, trying to understand a culture other than our own, is a challenge. I mean, I lived in India for 21 years, and I think I scratched the surface of understanding the culture after 21 years. So, um, so, so I was just thinking how, if we tried to overlay our, you know, what's what's what is talked about today onto this, what's happening here, we say, oh my God, what a terrible thing, right? But there's a whole culture behind it. Yes, Prabhupada mentioned the purport. You know, first of all, she's a princess. She's got. She's she's gonna. She has her father. She has you know. She has all kinds of. But she does want a son to take care of. There's. It's just apples and oranges trying to compare this culture that that is hap This is happening with to you know. Maryland, 2017, or America, 2017. It's very different. Mm. Sri Devahuti said, my lord, because anyway, who, who, what wife tells her husband these days, my lord, right? <laughs> Show you the difference right there. Uh, you have fulfilled all the promises you gave me 
Yet, because I am your surrendered soul, you should give me fearlessness too. My dear Brahmana, as far as your daughters are concerned, they will find their own suitable husbands and go away to their respective homes. But who will give me solace after your departure as a sannyasi? Srila Prabhupada writes at the beginning of the purport, it is said that the father himself becomes a son in another form. The father and son are therefore considered to be non-different. A widow who has her son is actually not a widow because she has a representative of her husband. Similarly, Devahuti is indirectly asking Kardamamuni to leave a representative so that in his absence she might be relieved of her anxieties by a suitable son. A, house, a householder is not expected to remain at home for all these, his days. After getting his sons and daughter married, a householder can retire from household life leaving his wife in the charge of the growing up sons. That is the social convention of the Vedic system. And it's important, this word convention. Prabhupada often uses that to say that's the general idea, is basically what he's saying. It doesn't mean there aren't exceptions and differences in, in cultures today um, like that. And, and even in um, a very simple thing is it's, uh, one can just as, almost just as easily be under the care of one's daughter these days, you know, but in these, in past time, in previous times, the son was a breadwinner, the man was a breadwinner, and so it was, he would be under that person's care. But we see today that even in ISKCON, um, sometimes a, uh, an elderly lady or even an elderly couple will move in with their growing up daughter, not just son. Those distinctions have become a little less prevalent. One time in a, a conversation with Prabhupada, Hari Sari asked, you know, well, what if you don't have a son? He goes, oh, son, daughter, same thing. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Sons in the bigger sense yes. of, ch of children. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah, very helpful. Yes, uh, microphone. Um, what if a woman has a desire to renounce the material world? Um, good luck. No. <laughs> well, it depends on her situation. There are, Srila Prabhupada did authorize uh, ladies to uh, remain unmarried if they wished to. You know, he would say things like it's not the, it's not the standard desire for ladies, but if uh, there, were, there were women who uh, voiced that desire to him, and he, uh, he, he allowed for that. Um, he even allowed for them to have a separate project um, for that purpose, right? So, that, so in that situation, it's... Uh, if someone is married with small children, that would probably, you know, there would probably be some challenges with that, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, the, the, uh, often the woman at least, at least in this day and age, at least contributes to the care of children, if not the main caretaker. I mean, sometimes it's really hard to be uh, a woman in this culture because they're expected to have a full-time job and be the, the, the primary caretaker of the children. <laughs> it's really hard. Right. I, I mean, because Krishna manifests himself as man or woman, right? Because Krishna creates the two spe the two uh, yeah the two genders. Yes. Right. I mean, we have Krishna within us. Yeah. So within the woman, there is Krishna. Yeah. And she wants to attain Krishna. It's it's not different. So, right. Just just one second, because I normally I wouldn't do this. Uh, I'm just finishing a class right now for in the next seven minutes. 
Oh, good. Um, up, do you know where the, oh, you remember the, the meeting room, the, where Prabhupada's room is? That's where she'd be. Okay. If I say Shikapu calls, you can, uh, you're allowed to do that. Anyone else? No. <laughs> if it's your guru, you can take your call. Um, yes, so actually she, in the next few verses, Devahuti is going to start expressing some very renounced things. Oh God, we just, all those the hundreds of autumns and all this stuff, and I didn't want, didn't get transcendental knowledge. Oh my God. Again, which is a good lesson for us. Right? Good lessons for us. So, it would, so my answer to you is basically it would depend on the woman's uh, position in life. It can be very, you know, what's very healthy at one time in your life is unhealthy at another time. Right? So a, a young lady in her 20s who has two small children getting really renounced and, and, and therefore maybe not either neglecting the children or not giving them the, the heart that one needs to, that's not a good idea. When you're 55 or 60 and the kids are off and about, and you know, then having a more of a renounced spirit that, you know, Srila Prabhupada said, 50 years old is a tap on the shoulder by Krishna saying that you're not going to live forever. Right? Um, so, you know, different times in our life we have uh, different things. So the good thing, the best thing is to match the appropriate mindset to the appropriate age. And not get it confused. You know, sometimes we have people who, in the past, you know, we didn't get it right. So they took sannyasa at a very young age. They couldn't, they couldn't fulfill the requirements of that ashram. And then got married. And Srila Prabhupada even allowed that on a couple of occasions. But it's obviously better to have a nice society where students are students. Young married couples are young married couples. Older married couples are older married couples. And towards the end of life, they get really... I was going to say dead serious. <laughs> That's maybe the wrong word. <laughs> but really serious about uh, the perfection of life. And Srila Prabhupada would, would practically cry to see that, you know, an elderly person, right, is, is just eating, sleeping, mating, defending, living at the house of their children, but not taking the time, the, the golden opportunity to get some spiritual... Uh, uh, to really get serious about spiritual life in the fag end of their lives. What, you know, he would say, they're doing crossword puzzles, shuffleboard, or whatever, watching television. When that's the time when... Krishna hasn't just tapped you on the shoulder when you're in the 70s. He's slapped you on the face a few times, you know, saying, come on. Because they, they, they become so happy. Anyone in their 70s who's really starting to hear about God and hear about Krishna becomes sick. They, 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 all that lamentation, oh, you see the young, you see the 20-year-olds out there and, and holding hands and this night, oh, I, I used to be like that. That goes away when you think, wow, I have Krishna, I'm so lucky, you know? So, it's, so he would have deep compassion for someone in their elder years who weren't utilizing them as properly as they could. Yeah, right, trade, yeah, the trade-in uh, for in the, uh, yeah, yeah, the trophy wife, right, when you're, you're in your 40s or 50s and you marry someone half your age, and she becomes like a trophy, you show her off to everybody. That's a real problem. Okay, until now we have, so here's her renunciation, right, are we on it until now? Yeah, until now we have simply wasted so much time, this is her, in sense gratification, neglecting the cult of, to cultivate knowledge of the Supreme Lord. And Srila Prabhupada writes, human life is not meant to be wasted like that of animals in sense gratificatory activities. Animals always engage 
and sense gratification, eating, sleeping, fearing, and mating. Just think if you have, if you ever seen a cat or a dog or a monkey or whatever, what is the, you know, not that we should develop, but try to understand their mindset. They are thinking eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Eating, you know, one of those four, you know, that's it. So if we just have that mindset, we're just a dwi padapashu. We're just a two-legged version of an animal. So we have to, we have to eat, we have to sleep. Uh, in the proper situation, we mate, and we certainly have to defend. We, you know, we have car insurance. That's part of defense and all the things that we do defend. But there's more. There's more. And that's what Deva Hoodie's saying here. Not knowing your transcendental situation, I have loved you while remaining attached to the objects of the senses. Nonetheless, let the affinity I have developed for you rid me of all fear. Association for sense gratification is certainly the path of bondage, but the same type of association performed with a saintly person leads to the path of liberation, even if performed without knowledge. Anyone who works, whose work is not meant to elevate him in, to religious life, anyone whose religious ritualistic performances do not raise him to renunciation, and anyone situated in renunciation who does not lead that does not lead him to devotional service, to bhakti, to the Supreme Personality of God, it must be considered dead, although he is breathing. She is preaching so heavy now, right? <laughs> right? She is saying without, you know, she's basically, you know, saying all you need is love, <laughs> but not from the Beatles, but from, for Krishna, right? Very strong statements. And then the last verse of this chapter, my Lord, surely, I have been solidly cheated by the insurmountable, illusory energy of the Supreme Personality of God. How many of us can say, Krishna, I have been solidly treated by Maya? Right? A lot of us can say that, right? I have been solidly cheated by Maya, by the illusory energy. I don't want it anymore. Get, you know, give me a break, please, help me. <laughs> For in spite of having obtained your association, so in spite of having devotee association, which gives liberation from material bondage, I did not seek such liberation. Oh, when I read this, I felt like, oh, I, you know, this is not Dave, this is, I thought this is me. I, <laughs> you know, how many of us can relate to this, this, this last uh, verse in this chapter? So, knowingly, yeah. Yeah. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, and we'll end it here after this, an intelligent man should utilize good opportunities, right? That makes sense if you're a business person, if you're whatever, right? We should, we, if you see a good opportunity, what is that Hindi saying? If something is auspicious, do it immediately, or is it Bengali? If something is auspicious, do it immediately? Subha susikram. Yeah, it has to be done. And then if something's inauspicious, bagme. <laughs> Put it off, yes. Okay, so the first opportunity is a human form of life, right? Because we don't, we have more than just eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Somebody says, yeah, we can be a football fan also. <laughs> uh, the second opportunity is to take birth in a suitable family where there is cultivation of spiritual knowledge. This is rarely obtained. So for those of us who have parents who brought us up spiritually, that's, that's great. 
the greatest opportunity is to have the association of a saintly person. That is the greatest opportunity. And so we all have that. We have Srila Prabhupada's teachings. We have each other in this community of Vaishnavas. It's the greatest opportunity. It's not buying Apple just after it went public. That's a pretty good opportunity if you want to make money. But the greatest opportunity is to associate with saintly people. A little further down. Still, if she does not get liberation from the entanglement of material energy, then certainly she would be cheated by the insurmountable illusory energy. Actually, the illusory material energy is cheating everyone. Strong statement, huh? And then the last, one should be intelligent enough to know how to utilize material assets for the purpose of spiritual realization. To use whatever our, our intelligence, our family, our, our work, our, our words, uh, what we hear, all, which all, you know, ears are material things, right? But it, all these things become spiritualized when we use them in Krishna's service. I don't think we have time for, we have a japa session now, which we have to, I, uh, my wife is finishing a meeting, but if she was here right now, she'd be looking at me with darts <laughs> because I'm a minute late. <laughs> so um, next week we will continue uh, with chapter 24 and have a very wonderful Krishna conscious week. Hare Krishna, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. And thank you to Rambaru Mataji for coming. <laughs>